The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hi, this is Ashley Eckstein, the voice of Ahsoka Tano from Star Wars, and you're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars podcast. May the Force be with you. You're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars, episode 131. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember... The Force will be with you, always. Hey everyone, I'm Angela Cialana, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away, including the deeper themes and meanings. Today, we are picking up where Andrew, Robert, and Brandon left off last week with the Andor series. And joining me today are two uh, more of our new Secrets of Star Wars panelists. Uh, We've got Jason Yuji. Hello, Jason. Hello, how are you? Uh, I'm great. I'm glad that you're here. (laughs) And joining me also with Jason is Patrick Mason. Hello, Patrick. Hello. Wonderful to be here. Thank you uh, for the invite. Absolutely. And many more invites to come. (laughs) So um, we want to know who you guys are. So um, Patrick, uh, let's let's start with you. you. Tell us a little bit about your love of Star Wars. You know, I think my love of Star Wars began as a kid. I watched uh, episode one, or sorry, not episode one, episode uh, four. I always think about it as the first one, but episode four with my dad. Probably, I don't know, 10 or more times every time I saw him. You know, it was that and the uh, the Transformer movie. Real big influences on my early life. And uh, it, from there, it just sort of sprung into like later love of Star Wars, you know, seeing episode five, really falling in love with the character Gross, the character arcs, episode six. And, um, you know, episodes one, episode one came out when I was in high school and I remember going to the midnight showing and um, despite a lot of my friends really loving it, (laughs) despite a lot of the criticisms and um, sort of, you know, the kind of rebirth of Star Wars that happened from there and just kind of falling in love. And then when, you know, when the special special edition versions going to, to see them with my dad in the theater and that being sort of a big experience for me and him uh, in our relationship and sort of Star Wars. And then, uh, you know, high school and college, I, you know, I was I was a nerdy kid. And so instead of staying out and partying uh, on a Saturday night, I was out with my my two or three buddies till 2 a.m. in a in a parking lot or in a you know, somebody's driveway talking about Star Wars. It's <laughs> talking about the latest book we read or, you know, from the extended universe stuff or or the latest movie or, or the character and, and going into depth about Darth Vader and his, you know, weakness as a, as a person and his redemption arc and that kind of stuff. And so um, since then, Star Wars has always just sort of been, you know, part of my life. I, every Christmas I get a couple of T-shirts from my parents and they are invariably Star Wars themed <laughs> shirts. <laughs> That's so cool. That's awesome. Um, and we also, of course, have the wonderful Jason Yuji with us. Um, and Jason, I know that 
in our kind of behind the scenes Slack channel, you've shared a photo of uh, you in a Mandalorian helmet. Um, so tell us a little bit about that and about your Star Wars fandom. So uh, I uh, was born in 77, but later in the year. So I missed uh, episode four or original Star Wars. Uh, but I remember growing to uh, I remember watching Empire Strikes Back on my uncle's Betamax when I was knee high to a grasshopper. But I don't think I got very got very far past the the ice planet scene before I'd get up and run away, um, <laughs> do something else. But uh, one of my first earliest memories is uh, going hand in hand with my dad to see Return of the Jedi. That's one mm. of my first earliest memories. So it's sort of been with me my whole life. Uh, been stuck there. Um, I never really got into the books or anything in the nineties. Uh, but of course I was always, I always had all the toys and me and my high school buddies would, my nerd friends would talk about it. And, uh, then of course I remember going to see episode one, uh, with everybody making sure I had tickets early. Uh, so I could see it the first night, same with episode two and episode three. Uh, then, uh, when, you know, I've always gone to parties as star Wars character or something, but, uh, Disney plus lit everything on fire again. <laughs> uh, and I loved, I really loved, uh, Mandalorian because it takes the look back to the seventies and eighties. Uh, you know, if there's an explosion, it's sparks instead of the big billowy CGI stuff. So mm -hmm. it it sort of puts it all back where it belongs. And in, in my opinion, and then listening to you guys on on this podcast, uh, I got into a little bit of the Clone Wars, but I've watched all of Rebels. I absolutely love Rebels um, and I'm, I can't wait to see where it goes, especially with Ahsoka coming up and. All of that. So, and the the Mando helmet, we got to host a Star Wars themed table at a costume party, and I used that party as a a little gotcha. To once my wife signed up, I said, "Well, now I need the Mando helmet." So, <laughs> and then, uh, nice. and then I wore it. I wore that same helmet to my twins' graduation. Uh, while they were walking down the aisle and they graduated in a class of nine. So everybody knew who I was. Wow. So they were awfully embarrassed. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> well, definitely dedicated fans here. So we have some good discussion ahead. I know. Um, and all right. So um, now that we have, a lot more familiarity with each other than Cassian ha has with his teammates. <laughs> Let, let's go ahead and start with uh, episode four of Andor here. And the uh, episode is called Aldani. The official summary is out of options. Cassian is recruited for a dangerous mission to infiltrate an Imperial garrison. So let's first of all talk about uh, first impressions. So about this episode and then also just where we are in general in the series, who wants to start off? Well, I, I'd kind of like to mention the 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 back, uh, the flashbacks in uh, the first two episodes. I think sure. they did a lot better job on flashbacks than they did in Book of Boba Fett. In Book of Boba Fett, they really could have just put all that in a chronological order instead of using the flashbacks. 
um, because they told so much story in the flashbacks. I think in this one, they used that a whole lot better in those first two episodes uh, just to get that out there, show, yeah, where he came from when he was a kid and then uh, how it paralleled what he was dealing with as an adult. Okay. And what about the, um, the just and or in general, are you enjoying it? Is it for you? Um, what, what are you thinking right now? Well, this last episode left me on a, really on a cliffhanger. I'm, I'm ready to see where it's going to go with the dinner party and the, uh, the heist and all of that. It, it just sort of left a whole lot hanging ready for next week. Yeah. It was really thrilling. Yeah. Uh, What about you, Patrick? So I think, you know, and or is a very, a more adult themed show, right? We've kind of broached that with the, you know, opening semi-opening scene being uh, very Blade Runner. I think, I think the guys nailed it in the last episode when they men- yeah. mentioned that I was like, Oh yeah. On board, you know, and uh, with the brothel and with Andor, you know, shooting a guy in the face who's on his knees in prayer position. Right. So it's very clearly the theme is more adult, but what I, what I really liked about the last three episodes and especially this last one is it's adult in the relationships um, we're seeing, or <laughs> interestingly enough, we're seeing different management techniques and mm-hmm. we're seeing inner office politics and we're seeing, uh, how things can go terribly wrong when you have two company men doing something together. We, we've, we've seen, um, like relationships between adopted, uh, individuals and their parents and kids in trouble in their parents, like even though they're not kids, adult children. And and now we're seeing a relationship that is a marriage um, that is, right. is faltering or someone in trouble or there's issues with it. Um, and I'm, I'm just, I'm loving it. <laughs> I really am. Um, and, and or in general, I, I'll put it this way. I've suffered a lot of disappointment with a lot of the stuff Disney has put out more or less recently. And I, I came in with a pretty low bar for Andor because I was, I was just like, okay, they're going to do it to me again. Like, I'm going to get all hyped up watching the the previews and the trailers and everything. And so far, I have not been disappointed. Um, I've I very much have liked what they've done with it, and and that they've taken it to like adult places that aren't adult places. I don't know how else to put that, but you know, the stereotypical you know sex and violence being adult mm-hmm. themes, but the reality is like a real adult stuff is about complex relationships and how the people interact in them. And I'm, I'm really enjoying that uh, thus far in Andor. Great. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I don't know if this is a disagreement necessarily, but I'll put it this way. Um, I typically Andor like this show is not something I will watch at this point in my life. Um, previously, um, before some kind of health situations like I was very into like the most stressful thing you can watch but you know you're talking about adult relationships and complex stuff and that can get kind of stressful and tense <laughs> like and um you know it's not that I don't like it but it's just that nowadays I try to make my entertainment something that's like making me happy or like laugh or something like that um so you know I mean, that's that's one thing there. But I care about Andor, obviously, because it's Star Wars and because I care about the story and the characters and it's informing, you know, 
a character, something about a character that, um, you know, Cassian Andor has become pretty important to me because Diego Luna is playing Cassian. And, you know, if y'all have been with SQPN for a while, you might know that um, I have Mexican ancestry. So, you know, I'll kind of touch on that later and just how I think that's affecting the story. But, you know, really, it matters to me to see someone who looks like my family and, and sounds like my family. Um, some people, you know, that means they got to have the closed captions on so they can understand him. But um, it's just, you know, having the community be uh, prominent in Star Wars now, it, it makes a big difference. So so I'm definitely enjoying that. Um, I think B2 Emo might be my new favorite droid. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Disney's gotten really good at churning those out, right? <laughs> the droids, they're amazing. <laughs> they are. They just seem to get better and better. I wonder if they have just a creator just for that, yeah. <laughs> just to make sure they have good droids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so that's there are very few healthy expressions of joy or love, I would say, in in this show. Um, and I don't know if that makes it more adult, but it definitely makes it to where adults really are the ones that can kind of just handle, you know, and process more, more so. Um, so let's go ahead and just kind of start off and, and talk about maybe one of the more intense characters, I would say, which is Luthen. Um, and so by now where we've gotten to with episode four, we've spent a lot more time with Luthen and we have gotten to know his character a little bit more. Um, there are some moments where I would say he comes off as like an abusive father figure, <laughs> like claiming to know you, claiming to know what is best for you or want want the best for you, but ultimately like is motivated by his own interests. Um, there's plenty of shouting. There is imposing, you know, himself, like a manipulation in there. So I think, you know, some people might interpret that as, his attitudes being, you know, based on his situation, the situation that he's in, and he feels a lot of pressure. But, but what do you guys think of Luthen right now? What is, what is your impression of him as a person? And then also, what do you perceive as his motivation for the way that he acts? And do you agree with, with what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I guess I hadn't thought about it. Like, like you were saying, that being an imposing father, um, I, I saw him as more of the the general that's needing to take take action to make something happen. There's sort of uh we'll talk about him later, I think, but uh Pedragus. Um the, Right. Yeah. The guy that's in charge of ISB. Yeah. Partagas, yes. Uh he uh he's sort of the same get it done right now situation, but just mm -hmm. in a more formal way. Whereas I think, you know, the rebellion is so fledgling at this point that he's just having to tell Andor what he needs, you know, in, in, in a, that manner. But I, I almost wondered if there was the way he was able to put on all that uniform or the, the different dress and the rings and the wig and everything. And then, literally shift his mindset and his whole body stature and everything, his smile and all that, that little scene where he's having to practice it. It almost made me wonder if he's, if he's just really that good of an actor as it, as the character, obviously mm -hmm, still in mm -hmm. Skarsgård's a really good actor, but, but as, is the character 
a good actor or is he some sort of sociopath? I'm not, I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) I would probably go with a former, (laughs) but Patrick, what do you think of Luthen? You know, I, I really, really enjoyed this episode as far as diving into Luthen and his, how he is and how he's set up. I, I think, I think from a, a spycraft perspective, his job and his front is amazing. Like if I was going to go into spying, that would be it. Like, especially yeah. in the Star Wars universe, you could get away with going to all kinds of places that would be like restricted or no, no, you can't go there. But like, I'm just an antiques dealer, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just in this, you know, far away Jedi temple to pick up these things because I want to sell them, you know, <laughs> that kind of a thing. Um, I think as a, as a character, he strikes me very much as the stereotypically in a or i guess thematically trope the trope you see in a lot of spy craft movies is that there is an older guy um the older guy who's been through the older guy who teaches them in the born movies there is an individual at the very beginning the first born movies who basically teaches jason born how to do his craft um and in the end he gets killed by his government you know, for, for doing that. And so, um, I, I kind of feel like that's where this guy fits in. He is sort of the beginnings of what would be the intelligence or counterintelligence agency, uh, within the rebellion and how that's going to operate. And, um, I don't know if sociopaths kind of write the right word, but it may be sort of a learned sociopathy, it's sort of like I have to constantly watch my back at all moments. I think that really plays out in the scene where he watches Mon Mothma's car pull up and he immediately notices that's a different driver. Mm-hmm. So everything I say to her has to either be in code or in secrecy because I don't know who this person is and I don't trust them. Um, and I think it's it's interesting the way he comes at Andor because he never he never really explains himself when Andor asks questions he just sort of deflects and and brings it back to Andor and forces Andor to just keep telling him more and more and more about himself or or own up to the lies he's telling uh Luthen so i Luthen's one of those like i don't think we've seen enough of him yet to to really get a feel for how he is but i, I do like psychologically speaking you kind of have him as that potential father figure for Andor, mm-hmm. and that might explain some of the choices we see Andor make, uh, especially coming down the line, and some of the ones he made in Rogue One. Um, I had I like I hadn't considered it from that angle either, but I think it's a good <laughs> angle. <laughs> well, you know the reason I said well, I'll just say this: um, he Luthen very much is one of his key things about his character is he is constantly the one insisting, "I know you." I know you, Cassian. Like, actually, Cassian hasn't said that much about himself to Luthen. It's really just been up until this point, this episode, at the very beginning, it was kind of like Luthen was saying that so much, I know you, and then pushing his, you know, you've got to come with me, you've got to do this, to where Cassian finally said, hey, you know, I was on Mumbat and blah, 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 you know, and again, with that lie, as you were saying, but I think that was just that characteristic was just so particularly abusive to me, <laughs> like someone who constantly is saying that. Um, so again, Luthan, a very interesting character. Now, one of the things that I've been, when we looked at episode one through three, 
it was missing that spiritual side for me um, that we got in Rogue One, you know, with um, some talk about the Force in Rogue One. So now we have Luthen with this blue kyber crystal that he gives to Cassian. I'm wondering if he has a spiritual side or if he knew someone who was more attuned and, and interested in the Force. Did you guys have any thoughts on kind of that side of things, the spiritual side of things with Andor at all? I noticed a little bit uh, when they were uh, on the the planet Algani and they're walking uh, back to their uh, the camp. She's telling him how where everybody left. Well, there's still a few people there and they're talking about mystics. And then later on, they discuss the temple. It almost makes me wonder if it could be a Jedi temple or maybe even a Sith temple. I don't know. Uh, but the, the fact that she's talking about the mystics, it makes me wonder if those are force sensitives mm. out there and they, they just don't even really understand what that is. Good point. Or they're hiding it. Right. Yeah. Um, Patrick, anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I, the Kyber crystal was interesting because, you know, he tells Andor, you know, don't take less than 50,000 for it and I want it back. Like, so like if you sell it, that's fine. Just make sure you get this much money and then also go get it back. <laughs> like, I think that's a pretty interesting <laughs> right. set of directives. So it, it belies, there's obviously like a, there's something about it that Luthen cherishes or treasures, but it's not enough to hold it no matter what. Like, mm. it, and for me, that's sort of a, he's ultimately committed to the cause, right? Like right. this, this, my guess is this belonged to somebody who the empire took from him, whether it was a, a loved one, you know, a wife, a father, a mother, something of that nature, sister, brother, uh, I'm guessing somebody. And he got it from them. And and now he's holding on to it. it. Alternatively, he could have his own belief system about the Force as well and cherish it just um, as a, a character from Rogue One. I, you know, I, I find it, after sort of the the prequels came out and you have you have the gap between episode three and episode four kind of determine, you know, 17 years, 16 years, right? It's Luke's lifespan. And you go from episode three where the Jedi are a, very well-known thing. The force is a well-known thing. It's a galaxy wide thing Two sixteen 16 years later, you know, Tarkin saying that he is the, you know, Vader is the last vestiges of a dead religion. And you're mm -hmm. like, how do you get there in 16 years? <laughs> like, <laughs> like that is just impressive. Like I, and so I don't know if that speaks to the empire's ability to sort of just mm. wash secularism over whatever, you know, religious or uh, spiritual nature was in the galaxy at the time, or if there's all this kind of hidden hiddenness to it. And I think the, the display of the Kyber crystal sort of points to that more. There's a hidden side to this. People are sort of hiding their religion now because they know it's the empire is not about it, um, but they have to keep it under wraps. They have to go underground with it. Right. Yeah. Um, so this is interesting. This is also the Kyber crystal is a connection to Rogue One because we also saw Jin's mother giving her a kyber crystal that she wore around her neck. So very interesting kind of connections. I hope we learn more about that as we go on. Um, but, you know, let's let's talk about how Luthen brings Cassian to this ragtag team who are on this really dangerous mission. And they're led by a character named Vel, 
who to me seems to have a pretty strong relationship with Luthen. Um, so what did you guys think about the team's reaction to Cassian? Do you, did you think that it was believable enough? And do you expect, how do you expect that ultimately that bringing in this new person and it's Cassian, um, how, how will that impact the mission, do you think, going forward? I think they were legitimately and understandably upset. And uh, I think she pulled off a good lie saying that uh, he was, that she just wasn't sure if she could get him there in time. But obviously everybody would be mad and now they've got to change all their plans too. Not only does he have to learn what they're supposed to do, they have to change their plans to accommodate. So it, I, I'd be right there with them. Yeah, so I, I recently um, moved into a management position in the company I work for. And, uh, we, you know, we operate our power plants with typically small teams, seven or eight team person teams. And this was just so familiar when you bring a new guy in, especially yeah. a new guy who has a bunch of experience. And he's like, OK, can you run these machines? Can you do this? And you have guys in the team who are just like, yeah, give him a chance. He can do it. And guy and folks in the team who are like to heck with him. Like we don't need him, <laughs> you know, we can, and, um, especially from the viewpoint of Vel, because Vel knows he's a contractor, right? She knows that he's not invested. Like she's, he's not a company man. He's not part of the rebellion or, or, you know, I think Andor lists five different, five or six different groups. He's not part of any of those groups. And, but she, she also knows she can't tell the team that because if she does, they all, lose trust in him but she also knows by not telling the team that if it comes out they're all going to lose trust in her and at the same point Andor is sitting there trying to figure out how do i build trust with the team which ultimately is going to come through him actually successfully doing something or helping them because um, that's that's in real world situations when you jam somebody into a new team or a new person into a team it almost always comes down to, can they do the job? <laughs> can yeah. they do their work? And that's how the trust gets built. Um, so I, I found all of that extraordinarily believable. It's like they'd done, either they'd done their homework or at least all of the writers had like been in those situations, which I'm guessing is more true. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it's a commonality. Uh, you know, when you're joining a new team at work or, or whatever you're doing, you have to go through this sort of proving phase. And at the same time, if there's conditions on, on how you're, how you're there, how you're acting, there's like, there's these secondary levels of trust that go with the leader and the team and, and how you integrate with both of them. And then how you integrate with upper management, which would be Luthien at this point. And so this is all like, and, and not only that, this, when I first came into the company, I'm currently that this was very much my situation. Mm. Like I got brought in, I was headed towards upper management at a different company and when I came into the the plants I work at now, I was inserted as a man on the ground. I was like frontline outside operator worker. And so it was like, I had guys walk up to me and go, are you a corporate spy? Are you, are you working for upper, upper management and here to spy on us? And so this, like, this was very believable. <laughs> like, uh, it was like, I've seen this before. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, ultimately I think we can open up kind of this discussion about leadership in this show, because I think that is one of the core themes that I'm picking up on 
Um, and even, you know, during our discussion, it's really come up already quite a bit. Um, there's a whole lot of lying going on. There's a whole lot of hide, hiding going on. And obviously it is a spy show, but at the same time, it's kind of <laughs> demonstrating to us that this early rebellion, um, you know, project or whatever it is, was built on a whole lot of that. And it just kind of makes you wonder and really reflect on the impact that lying can really have ultimately on the bonds of trust. You know, um, I mean, Val did not know about Cassian. She doesn't know Cassian. Cassian didn't know about the garrison. <laughs> the team didn't know about Cassian. And apparently they still don't know about Luthen. <laughs> so, I mean, let alone Mon Mothma or anything else, right? So um, how how do we deal in those situations? That's just kind of what I'm thinking about right now is like, how do we deal with those situations when we just have to put our trust in the leadership and just kind of accept the situation, right? <laughs> it's, it, it's not exactly the most, um, you know, it's, I, I don't know if I can completely do the job a hundred percent if I know that my leadership has been lying to me. So the, I, I can definitely empathize with the team on that end. I just to add to that, like it's an entire organization run on duplicity, right? Like you, right. you, it's one face, like Mon Mothma, it's one face to the crowd, one face back here for Luthien. It's one face to the crowd. It's one face back here for Andor. It's one face to all of his friends and one face running this side mission where he's trying to find a sister. It's like everybody involved has a duplicitous nature just to survive. And right. you're right. Like, what does that do to the organization as a whole? That's a, that's a really good point <laughs> to think about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess moving on from there, we can kind of get into some of the other leadership um, figures that we were introduced to in episode four. Um, we mentioned Major Partagaz as um, the head of the Imperial Security Bureau or the ISB. And um, <laughs> he really, to me, this this is possibly if he continues to be a character that we see, he could possibly be one of the more impactful just characters that I remember from this show. Um, he gave such a strong impression. So what were your first impressions of Partagaz? And did he or did he not give you any flashbacks to work situations and bosses in the past? Uh, I've never worked like for anybody necessarily that callous. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, but he gave me uh, <laughs> flashbacks to Tarkin and um, uh, Krennic and all those guys. You know, it's it's like they must go through a leadership camp that, tells them that this is how they have to be in charge. You know, it, it just, it, it's, it's so short. I mean, just the way he ends the conversation with Deidre, he's like, we're done. And, and he walks out the room, you know, just, I don't, I don't think I would like working for somebody like that, but you know, to each his own, I guess. <laughs> I, I loved every minute of the ISB stuff. <laughs> Every minute. Um, <laughs> so I work in the power industry and somewhere between 70 to 90% of the power industry is ex-Navy folks with some ex-Air Force, ex-Army guys thrown in there. 
occasionally a Marine. Um, and that's just how they operate. Like I've been in that meeting on many <laughs> occasions. I've watched that management style play out. Um, I, I, and I've, I've, <laughs> I've been called out like that before. Like, yep, you read it right from the book and that's not what we do at all. <laughs> here's, here's what we do. Um, I really, I enjoyed it. I thought it spoke a lot to the writers, um, you know, and I, and honestly it is a, it is a management style. Um, it's not necessarily the best quote unquote, but it's a very abrupt, very brusque, very, this is what it is. And this is how we go. And it's very interesting to see that management style operated in the ISB itself, because you would think it's a security organization. So there would be all these levels of like subterfuge and, and, um, you know, two-facedness and everything. And this management style is very much not that. Like, it's very much like, come in, punch you in the face <laughs> with, with how I feel and what I feel about you. And you, you would think more of somebody who, you know, was, was a spider and dangling a lot of people in different directions and, and kind of forcing them to backbite and backfight. And this guy is like, not about that. He's like, no, 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 you're overstepping your bounds, walk back. These are your good qualities. Okay, end of conversation, I'm out. You know, and um, I really enjoy <laughs> I don't know why, but it did bring me a lot uh, back to work. And I, I don't know. It, it's just very interesting to me to see the ISB, you know, internally and to see them operate that way. Um, because I, it's, it's not necessarily a way I would have expected. Um, it's just weird. It, I guess for me, it's because the ISB is something like a CIA, FBI kind of conglomeration. Right. You wouldn't expect them to have like a boardroom meeting like that <laughs> necessarily where they've got all those folks in there and they speak extraordinarily plainly. So I, it was I, for me, it was really neat. I, and I've always loved the ISB just in general as like this, this entity within the empire that nobody really knew a lot about or spoke a lot about, but they knew it was there. Um, So I, I don't know. I enjoyed the heck out of it. And I, I really like that character. Um, And I thought he was, he was vastly more well-rounded than he could have been um, mm. because I think they could have done all of the very forceful management style stuff with him and, and left it at that. But when uh, he turned, is it Deidre? Deidre. Uh, Deidre. He turns to her and then starts saying, okay, look, this is your career path. You got brought here over from, you know, the Navy or the fleet and you know, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle and I know, and that's bad, but we can't do anything about it, but these are the things you need to do. And so he's, mentoring her right mm -hmm. and that's another it's it's a management technique and that it was like oh he is not a one-dimensional character <laughs> he mm -hmm. actually has a little more to him and I, I think um you guys are right i really want to see where where this guy goes or what he ends up being right yeah i mean i was just recently in a conversation with my husband about how direct communication can save so many troubles from happening. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm watching this scene and I'm thinking, yeah, but if you're really, really direct, there can also be some other <laughs> challenges there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And definitely, you know, it's, there is, I'm seeing, I'm hearing a lot of work things coming up. So again, a lot of adult sort of situations, um, one of the things that I found interesting that I don't know if y'all picked up on or not is that um, Partigas called all the other officers by their last name, but Dedra, he called by her first name. And I, 
I confirmed this by going to good old Wikipedia <laughs> and finding out that Dedra was her first name. Um, and I personally, like, I, I hear what you're saying, that he was mentoring her, quote unquote, but I also felt some of the um, male-female dynamic happening intentionally because, for example, her, you know, she insists that there's this pattern that she has an instinct needs to be investigated. And he's like, you know, sorry, <laughs> um, I just I was watching that situation and I just out loud, I was like, you know, sorry, honey, it's a man's world. Nobody cares how you feel like <laughs> this is about facts. So um, I definitely saw that. Yeah. The, so the woman's coming up and she's having this instinctual feeling that something needs to happen and she's being called by her first name and she's being. So there was a lot of things that I could kind of relate to in that situation. You're right that he was sort of giving her some direction, but at the same time, he, you know, he, he, I think he was kind of backhandedly um, speaking to her as well. So it, not the most healthy work environment, I would say. No, I, I fully agree. Well, he mentioned that she had a really high bar that she had to live up to. It almost implied that, you know, you, you're, you are a woman and you have to, if you want to succeed here, you're going to have to show us. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think we're seeing the, and, and it's good to see, because um, I was a little bit worried, but as we've, a lot of the shows as we've moved from, you know, kind of the episode uh, three era into or towards the episode four era, in the episode three era, the Empire is very progressive. I don't know how else to put that word, but there's lots of non-humans, non, you know, women, uh, and and people of color but by the time you make it to <laughs> episode four it's all white men period that's it <laughs> that's what the empire and i don't know if that's just the, the way casting worked in the 70s and in, in england and that's so what what we got stuck with but it's it's been interesting to see as the shows go as the the aliens slowly get phased out and then now we're seeing the women kind of get phased out um and so it's the good old empire you know and love to hate um, because it's just this <laughs> sure. thing that it is. It's just this terribly bigoted monster. <laughs> well, yeah. some of the uh, the books, the Thrawn series, they've been, I guess maybe, I guess you would call it a retcon. They keep talking about how the Emperor, uh, especially when they're talking about Thrawn, everybody's amazed that, you know, this blue-skinned Chiss is uh, so high in the ranks, even you know, at all in the ranks right? and because of how his affinity to humans is and everything. So I think maybe they're, they're going, I see where you're going and then they, they're using the books and Canon to sort of explain that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny because like, you know, Patrick, as you were saying, the, the, the casting was probably just, that's the way it was, but maybe, maybe, Maybe George Lucas thought it through. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> it's hard Maybe to say, it just really. seems to work out because that was his intention. Who knows? But um, you know, I, I think it's gonna be more and more intriguing as we go on to see these ISB um scenarios. And, you know, with this situation coming up, now we have two security organizations that we've kind of seen inside of within this series already in four episodes. So to me, it's obvious that 
and or is setting out to kind of explore this theme of security um and what what do you think do you have any thoughts at this point on what sort of lessons are being driven home you know when i'm looking at it i'm thinking about what partigas said you know there is no true security um he also said some things that kind of had uh, some language i wasn't 100% comfortable with like uh, getting diseases out of the way but but um you know ultimately we're talking about lying and honesty and trust things like that to me that is where security lies if you have those bonds of trust and mutual respect that is the ultimate security you can take other measures but i don't know ultimately i, I don't think you can find security anywhere else you guys have any thoughts on that security <laughs> yeah it's well, i think you know Elena, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh 1984 um, uh yeah and the trust that the main character whose name i can't remember um has in his boss or i guess boss's boss or whatever one of the party members that it kind of befriends him mm-hmm. and sort of befriends him and convinces him that he's part of the rebellion, right? That's fighting against uh, Big Brother, and um, eventually turns on him, right? And and you realize, oh no, this was just a front set up to catch folks who who wanted to rebel. Um, that's what it kind of. I don't know why that triggered it to me, but that's that's sort of the thing. It's sort of because Cassian's going into counterintelligence. He's not necessarily just intelligence it's sort of a weird double-edged sword because he's he's going into a world where yeah they're trying to pull off a heist more or less um but at the same time you see from luthien's side of the ball it's a lot of trying to figure out what the empire is trying to find out from them um because luthien seems to know all about the security uh files on cassian and that they're coming for him already and so he obviously knows this stuff and that's that's not necessarily intelligence as much as it's counterintelligence. You're figuring out what the other guy's going to do to you because of the stuff they figured out about you. Um, So yeah, it's, it's interesting because like, it's always a trust game in that world, but you're constantly having to switch masks and build trust with the mask. But how do you move that into the person itself or move that trust from, from one mask to the other? Um, That's hard. (laughs) I gotta, I yeah. gotta imagine that's hard and that's psychologically damaging. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'm really curious to see how they deal with that—the the whole psychology of it—as um, we go forward. But let's talk about Cassian since you brought him up. Um, you know, we we see him at the beginning of the episode, basically stating to Luthen that he believes in taking from the Empire just so he can live a better life. And based on based on that, you know, he doesn't believe in any kind of ideal or, you know, fighting for the cause. Um, so, you know, we've looked a lot in episodes one through three at his past, at his childhood and what he went through. Um, what do you think it is that drives Cassian to just 
you know, make a good life for himself. And he doesn't want to, at this point, to, you know, fight for the cause. Um, He doesn't necessarily want to fight against the empire because they're the bad guys. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? I think it comes from his parents. I mean, we got a little bit of glimpse of uh, Clem, his dad, and his mom. Uh, you know, it, I think that's what they were doing back in the Clone Wars when he was a kid. They were just trying to get stuff out of that ship so they could survive. They were, you know, so I think that's been ingrained in him, you know, since they took him to save him. Uh, that's been ingrained in him over those years just to live your life and try to do right. I think he's doing right the wrong way <laughs> in some instances. Uh, but that, and I think in his mind, that's him trying to do right. You know, he, you know, on the, uh, in the, the Blade Runner scene, when he's just trying to find his sister, he just ended up in a bad situation and handled it the best way he knew how. So, and, you know, trying to live their lives on Ferrix, um, I think it's just everybody's just trying to get along and keep along and he's just doing it the best way he knows how. He's just got himself in trouble the wrong way. So I think a lot of it comes from his parents. That's a great point. I think um, I think the heart of it's probably going to end up going back to his sister. And it's not uh, like we've we've seen in the flashbacks quite a bit of not quite a bit, but some interaction between him and his sister and the importance there. And then him getting taken away from this tribe of children effectively. Like I, I never noticed any adults. And I thought that was really, really, really interesting. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I, I still thinking about it. I can't really get to like what they were implying or meant by that, but, um, but he separated from his sister and he seems to be looking for her in the wrong places like places where she would be if things went badly for her. And I think that's, that implies something. Hopefully they're going to reveal later on about his, like the real reason he went and stole this thing from the Imperials or the, you know, the reason he was there, you know, where he was uh, looking for her. Um, and it's, it's interesting cause it's a theme or it's a thread I've noticed in a lot of the Star Wars material that's come out since episode seven. And um, I only really noticed it after listening to this, to the last podcast, to be honest, but <laughs> it's, it's um, abducted children or, mm-hmm. or child trafficking, something of, of mm-hmm. that nature, because you see, you know, episode seven, eight, nine, the new order, first order, whatever it is, <laughs> the final order, like all of the stormtroopers are abducted kids. Right. And mm-hmm. then you see Solo, like the the his his life in in Solo, both at that time and then later on, him interacting with the criminal organizations, the movement of, of um children, and even The Mandalorian is a show about the most expensively, you know, alien trafficked alien ever, right? <laughs> like <laughs> like it's it's just this this theme, this thread I keep seeing come up, and I think it's going to play out in Andor. Um, mm. and it, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's going to be one of the payoffs of that thread is Andor looking for a sister because I, I get the feeling from some of the stuff they said that the rest of that tribe of kids, which exists as a tribe of kids for an unknown reason is, is going to get taken by the empire. 
or mm-hmm. taken by some subset of the empire, some group, and and farmed out, and that's why Andy is, Andor is looking for. Her. Um, could be a red herring. You could just you know have jumped down a rabbit hole they didn't intend to make, but <laughs> that's kind of like where I think a lot of his deep down internal drive for why he does things comes from. Um, mm-hmm. But I think at the same time, very likely. All information about his sister is just ridiculously difficult to come by. And in the meantime, he's got to make a living and why not try and make it off of the, the biggest guy, biggest kid on the block kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. So when I, so I'll say this, um, I shared a bit on discord for those of you who are on the SQPN discord server. We've been discussing a little bit about, why um small child casa smashes up the intruder's ship after seeing his reflection um inside of it and i was thinking that he was he was looking at his reflection in this on this um surface in the ship and he was saying well i've only seen myself in water and now i can see myself clearly only through this thing that these outsiders have but they're the ones that have come in here have taken you know my friend away from me have come to hurt us and and now I see myself and my face is dirty and and I'm angry and and he he just knocks that thing over starts starts at it as you're talking about chaffish children I was thinking about how um Casa was taken, you know, I mean, he wasn't, he didn't ask to leave. He was taken and, and, um, you know, realizing that I think he, his anger, um, he doesn't have a home. He doesn't really have a family necessarily. I mean, he's got this, this thing around him that is his adopted family and these friends and whatnot, but it doesn't really seem like he's a guy that just feels like he can go home and put up his feet. You know, I mean, he, he doesn't seem like the kind of person that can really feel at home. Um, so I want to say that that also has a lot to do with his, yeah, his motivations, his, his feeling like I don't, I don't want to fight for somebody else if nobody has ever fought for me. Um, and so um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up in talking about Cassian is that Diego Luna has actually described the story of Andor as a migrant story. Um, so he sees Andor as a migrant and he said, quote, it's the journey of a migrant. That feeling of having to move is behind this story very profoundly and very strong that shapes you as a person. It defines you in many ways and what you are willing to do, unquote. So, um, you know, we've seen definitely a lot of movement in Cassian. Does that, does that quote stir up any thoughts for you as far as Cassian's motivations and his character? The movement. <laughs> I, think, I think it's like the end of episode three is on like full-blown stereo display where you have the twin shots of Andor the child or Cassie and the child 
um, you know, taken by these two individuals who showed up in the ship while he was smashing it and, and in the spaceship and, and, or the adult in the back of Luthien spaceship, you know, going into the great beyond and neither of them knowing exactly where they're going. Um, that, that to me was just, it was just sort of like them yelling, the director's like yelling that, that at me, like, that's what this is about. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I, I think it's, I, th- I think he's right. I think it's, it, it's, at least that seems to be one of the big points the directors are trying to get across to us is that, that Andor is not, not at home really anywhere. Um, and his story is a story of migrations. Um, and those mm-hmm. are at least the two big ones we see. Yeah. I mean, I have a, a really close friend actually, who um, is uh, a young priest and he was an air force brat. So he was moving from place to place very regularly every few years. And so he just got used to this situation where he would not develop strong friendships with anyone um, until he got to college where I met him. And he realized um, that he wanted to become a priest and stay where we went to college. And so um, he found himself after that number of years where it was like, okay, (laughs) my psychology is ready to get up and move out where he had this internal struggle of like, okay, no, this is where I'm going to stay. So I have to make these roots and I'm not used to that. I'm not used to making attachments to people like that. Um, and so I, I find that particularly interesting about Cassian is that he's gotta have something like that going on in his mind that maybe he doesn't, maybe he just, everybody's just, you know, kind of in his life for a reason. And that reason is that reason. And then, you know, nothing beyond that. I'm curious, you know, how that's going to play out. Um, and then also just, you know, I kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, but with my family, my family also was going back and forth between Texas and Mexico, not myself, but my dad and my grandparents and so forth. Um, And so knowing what, how that affected them and kind of when you're in that situation, you don't really feel like you belong in one place or another. Um, I think that also uh, will definitely come to pass and we'll see more with, with Cassian. I think that kind of makes him a good candidate for being a spy and being that counterintelligence guy. Yeah. Because he doesn't really fit in anywhere specifically, but he, but he has to make himself fit where he's at. Exactly. Um, And he does choose a new name for himself in this episode, Clem, which as we just discussed is his adopted father's name. And in fact, Andor is Clem's last name. So um, that is where Cassian has gotten his name from his adopted parents. And we know that he was called Casa on his uh, home planet and his family. So um, now let's talk a little bit more about Mon Mothma, someone whose name we've known very well, but the character as such, we have not. Um, (laughs) We've finally gotten to see into her life and the politics situation what were were, did this whole first look into mon mothma's life 
Did it meet your expectations? Did you have any hopes for um, what it was going to be like seeing her? Um, I'd love to know what, what were your first impressions of all that? I seem to think that, you know, kind of unlike Luthen, you know, she does have to play a, a little bit of a role in the politics, but beyond that, and you know, and how she had to hide from her driver to talk to Luthen privately. Uh, but beyond that, I think she's the same. She seemed to me to be the same person at home as she is, uh, you know, all the time. She, she, her motivations are all about the, the people that she's trying to help, you know, and, and it's clear that she doesn't have to live the lifestyle that everybody's trying to, you know, that she's trying to help, but she doesn't change her philosophy, her theories, even at home. She tells her husband, you know, you're inviting these people that are doing exactly what we don't want them to do, what I'm trying to fight against, and you're having them here at a party. That doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. Um, so there was definitely a lot of, you know, back and forth with her her and her husband, and we can talk about that again, the theme of trust. <laughs> um, Patrick, what, what were your first thoughts on seeing Mon Mothma? I, I really enjoyed, uh, like, this was... I, I, I just really enjoyed this episode overall. Like <laughs> I loved all the ISB stuff. I loved all her stuff. I love the Luthien and or stuff. I love the and or being a team stuff. Um, for her, it was, it was very much something that called back to Leia and even Padme in, um, like previous memory, right? So, or, or I guess Leia's to come, right? But you see sort of, especially in episode uh, four, when Darth Vader comes on the ship and he starts talking to her and she's like, I'm a senator. You know, there's this, this beleagueredness, this, I, you know, I'm doing right by my people and, and, but I'm under this heel, this boot. And, and you can see the same kind of thing going on with Mon Mothma and her, interaction with Luthien. Uh, and then her, the conversation between her and her husband was like phenomenal. Like, I don't know how else to put it. Cause it's this, I can see both, both parties. Like I can see her, like she's, she's beleaguered. She's trying to figure out how to help this rebellion that she's a part of. And she started and she knows she's going to hang if she, if she gets found out. And now her husband has invited people that are counteracting her policies within the Senate and have, have done some terrible things apparently that are going to cause a bunch of people to starve. It looks like, and now she's going to have to have a dinner party with them. And she doesn't want that kind of a stress. <laughs> like she, she's realizing that she's now, she's going to have to don the guy. She's going to have to put on the, the counterintelligence, the intelligence mask in order not to be found out. And there's a lot of reluctance on her part. And the same part, I see the husband, he's kind of like, like I, I have like a thing I can do and that's entertainment. Like I, I'm not an important Senator. I'm not an important person. Like nobody really knows me. And, and I did this thing that I told you about a month ago <laughs> yeah. and, and, and now you it was just, on your calendar. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, and, and now you just want to tear it apart. And I was looking forward to having a fun night. Like I, I was going to watch <laughs> the football game with everybody here. It was going to be great. We were going to have pizza and, and beer. And now I can't because your job and you apparently hate these people now. And, uh, <laughs> just, like, and she took his present back. 
<laughs> yeah, and 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 now I don't even get a birthday present. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's just. It, it was it was just so it was very real like it struck me as this is a real very real conversation i can see especially with individuals who are in power uh with their spouses and um and the interplay that has to become like their whole life especially when they're public figures and then sort of the extra dimension to that that is mon mothma's part which is not only is she a public figure and she has to do these things and she's like always on but at the same time, now I have to put on my disguise and be someone I'm not. And, and because my husband is friends with these people that I have to hide from now, I've got to hide from him too. Like there's the, that I think maybe she doesn't realize it yet, but I feel like she's starting to get a glimmer of that through that interaction. The fact that she is going to have to hide who she is, even from her husband, which I don't know how else you blow up like a trust hole in a relationship, <laughs> but that's a good way to do it. Right. <laughs> like, I have this. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I have this whole second life where I'm, where I talk with a British accent and I, and I have a peg leg. Just go with it. Just go with it. It's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were really hammering home the idea that she is not safe anywhere. And then we get that scene at home where she is definitely not safe there either. Just let her hair down and gosh, be that Mon Mothma, you know, awesome person that we uh, we so enjoy. Um, I, I really appreciated seeing that different dimension, that personal dimension and how she lost that, too. Um, so uh, they're really building up this character who gave a lot to the cause of the rebellion, really gave her whole life to it. Um, so I I really loved that. Um, now, to kind of close things up, we've got to talk about Deputy Inspector Karn. And <laughs> where will he go now that he's been kicked out of his job, told that he will not be replaced and slapped by his mother? <laughs> I got a whole prodigal son sort of vibe with that. If you notice, he it's almost like a reverse of the prodigal son, where in the prodigal son story, the parable, he Jesus tells the story of the kid taking all of his money from his father and going out and squandering it. And then he ends up, you know, eating with the, the pigs, wishing he could eat with the pigs actually, where in this situation he is uh, with his, he's trying to change his stars basically. And he's ending up in uh, trying to climb the ranks real fast. And he thinks he's doing the right thing by going and chasing Cassian He's just never done it and he didn't do it right. And uh, really Luthan is the one that saved the day. But uh, now he's like completely shell-shocked. He's never seen a battle. So he had to watch all the people that he took into battle die. And now he's kicked out of his job. He's completely uh, demoralized. He only said one word in this episode and it was mother. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's basically him going back home. Whereas if you notice, he had to go down in the elevator. He had to go down from his higher ranks down to the level where he, he, he doesn't want to be, but he knows where he belongs. Um, so if you were asking me, I think he's going to end up in the rebellion at some point. Mm. They spoke. A, he spoke a whole lot with one word. 
Interesting. Patrick, what do you think of Karn? I think, so I, again, ISB scene when, when the ISB officer is dressing down the three uh, security guys. Loved it. Been in the room for that before. Hated it when I was in the room. <laughs> like, because <laughs> typically what you see is two gung ho workers screw something up and get somebody hurt or, or just mess something up. And then they're getting dressed down. And then on top of that, their boss is getting dressed down. Um, but it was very real. Like that's, that's very real. It's, and it's not only just like real to workplace. It's also very empire. Like, like right. you screwed up and now the empire's in charge. Thanks. Um, <laughs> this reminds me of how Houston runs things oddly enough, but, <laughs> but <laughs> that's a whole different story. Um, <laughs> So I, 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 I really loved him. I love the elevator scene. Like you saw watching him go down because like in the lead up to that scene with him in the elevator, I, I, I got tricked and I, I don't know whether the, the guys in charge or the director was trying to do this or not, but I thought we were in Coruscant. And then I started to see the shadows and I started to see the dinginess and I started to see the, the little off coloration. And I was like, wait, we're not on Coruscant, are we? And then you see him and you're like, oh, we're on his planet. And he's on like the top level and everything's beautiful and you can see the sky. And then he starts to go down and you kind of see it's like his descent, like exactly like you said, it's it's like his descent into his own personal hell or whatever. Like I've been I've been humiliated. Right. I am at the, like the level of my humiliation. I have to go hat in hand back to my parents who immediately slaps me upon seeing me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> After saying mother slapped and then hugged in traditional family fashion. And, <laughs> um, yeah, he's, he's, he's got the two choices. He's got the two paths in front of him right now, which is I have been humiliated. Do I react with humility and, and recognize what happened to me and what I did wrong and, like why it was probably wrong, <laughs> why it was wrong. And then that path, I think, does lead him into the rebellion eventually. Or does he double down on the other side and go, you know what, the Empire, what the Empire did to me was good and it was right. And obviously that means the Empire's got it right and I need to join up. And we're going to see him as some officer in the Navy down the line. Um, so I, I'm, I'm like... So curious to see where he's going to go. <laughs> like, um, and I would love either path. Like either path is, I think he's, he's a great villain. I think he would be a great uh, villain turned hero. Um, so yes, very, very interested to see where he goes. Yeah, I would believe either path. Absolutely. Um, what about all of you who are listening? What did you think of all these characters and situations that we found in episode four and going forward? We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to email us, you can email us at starwars at sqpn.com or you can find StarQuest on Facebook at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. You can leave a comment there or simply tweet us at sqpn and be sure to share the podcast on social media. Guys, did you have any final thoughts about episode four? I can't wait to see the dinner scene and the heist. I'm excited. Yeah, very, very excited. Very, I love I love that it's adult, but not adult in a bad way. Um, and I really love this episode because of that. Awesome. Well, uh, I am definitely looking forward to that dinner party as well, because I want to see how that husband-wife relationship continues with that phenomenal writing, as you put it, Patrick. Um, 
So that's definitely something I'm looking forward to also. Um, I want to see that weird comet uh, star thing that happens on on Aldani. (laughs) I definitely want to see that. Um, All right. So as we've got to shout out some stars, by the way, who help make this podcast a reality, and that would be our patrons. So we want to give a shout out, especially to a few of them, Fonseca B, Mary C., Jeffrey M, Richard H, and Michael F. And you too can feel the rush of endorphins hearing your name called, um, knowing that you have helped to continue the mission of StarQuest by becoming a patron at sqpn.com slash give. This StarQuest show is brought to you by Tim Shevlin's personal fitness training for Catholics, providing spiritual and physical wellness through personalized nutrition, workout and prayer programs, and daily accountability check-ins. Learn more by visiting fitcatholics.com. Well, um, you know, Patrick and Jason, I'm really glad that you were able to join me to have uh met you and um looking forward to more episodes with you but um you know this podcast this whole episode and this podcast would be no good if nobody listens to it right so uh we've got to ask everybody please continue to subscribe to secrets of star wars in apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher tune in spotify iHeartRadio, or on the sqpn youtube channel and you can also find previous episodes at sqpn.com slash Star Wars. Listen to the show as well as share the show. Um, and if you do a rating and a review, even better to help us uh, let more people know about the show. All right. Well, next week we will be back for a deeper look into the fifth episode of Andor. Until next time, uh, Jason Yuji, thank you for joining me in The Secrets of Star Wars. Thank you. I really enjoyed this. And I'm kind of starstruck, guys. <laughs> And Patrick Mason, uh, it's great to have you on as well. Looking forward to more. Me too. This was wonderful. Thank you again. And uh, thank you all for listening. Once again, I'm Angela Cialana. And thank you for listening to Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Take care. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. The Secrets of Doctor Who. Find the show wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Doctor Who.